Welcome to For Footballers Only. I'm Mike. I'm James Pinay. Uh, Jason Gross. Jason Gross. Yes, welcome yes. on the show, Jace. Appreciate welcome, it. Welcome. Yeah. All right, Jace. Let's let's get right into it. Tell us about your football your football journey. How did it begin? Mm. So we're talking, I would say 91. No, maybe a little earlier than that. It was probably, yeah, maybe 90. Um, coach Keith Tucker, who was uh, head coach of Howard at the time, had come into D.C. Uh, trying to start an inner city soccer league and uh, came to my elementary school. At the time, I was at Fort Lincoln. And I must have been kindergarten, first grade. And um, I, I remember this day vividly. Um, we did a scrimmage. And the way that the gym was set up, there was a gym floor, but they had a balcony section. So there was a, a tall wall. Um, and then there was a balcony section. So the entire school was there looking down uh, on the field, on the court as we were playing. And I just happened to, to kick the ball in the goal, right? Like, this is not me saying at five, I'm a goal scorer. I'm just saying that the ball just happened to go in between the cones that day. <laughs> and after it went in, I just remember the atmosphere that was the gym, right? Because the goal had scored, everybody's going crazy. Kids on the court, kids up in the balcony. We had like a K through eight set up. So it's just, you know, maybe 200 kids in the gym at this time. And I would say that's the moment that I fell in love with football. You know, I didn't know what it, what that was at the moment, right? But just that sensation, that feeling was just, you know, overwhelming, you know, in terms of the stimulus. And um, after that day, my mom signed me up and um, we started uh, first at Turkey Thicket, which is, you know, sort of in the Brookline area where we were doing some, you know, inner city component. And then the summertime shifted to Tacoma. And uh, I would say that's kind of where things took off for me. I was there under a few guys, um, different summers. And then Cab Akeem came in, who kind of took over that portion of it for probably the next, mm, maybe 10 years at, at the camp. Uh, we spent a significant amount of time with him there every summer. I mean, we were there, I would say from the end of school uh, until school returned. So about eight weeks, you know, eight to 10 hours a day. Um, and, you know, that type of training was um, extremely beneficial for someone who really wanted to improve and enjoy the game because we had technical training in the morning uh, where we were learning footwork, uh, the basics of juggling, those types of things. But I think the brilliance of what happened there was not only was it uh, a co-ed setup, it was also mixed age group. And then in the time that we had that wasn't as structured, we were doing things like Foursquare or soccer tennis. Um, or doing futsal before futsal was even a thing here in the States uh, on the basketball courts where you guys are currently doing some of your programming. Um, and so when you think about being with your ball eight to 10 hours a day, you can, you know, you can only improve, you know, and I, was, I had an appetite for the sport. You know, I wanted to learn as much as I could early on. Um, and I kid about this now, but I remember vividly back when the internet first got going, like I used to look at, images of uh, managers on Getty Images. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that site, right? But because I, I was always curious, like, what, what are these guys talking about? You know what I'm saying? Like, I just it was, I was just intrigued by that type of uh, stuff when I was young. I was fortunate enough to get a few VHSs from Cab, from English football back then, right? So talking, uh, 
Michael Owen and, and those guys. And um, one thing I, I noticed early on um, in my in my process was I had an ability to kind of recreate what I saw on film in my matches, right? Even at a young age, whatever those little moments were, because I was watching so many highlights, it just, I would watch them for hours, like to the point that I could do the commentary, right? But it started to be so ingrained in my mind that because now I'm developing technically, I was able to reproduce those moments for whatever reason, right? That was just kind of two things that came together early. And um, as I got a little older, you know, obviously we got into the tribal side of things, uh, Washington Soccer Club. Um, I was there for a couple of years. So a few, few of our guys, Keith, um, and a few others started there. Um, you know, rest in peace, Jerome. He was a part of that early group that, uh, that started. And um, I think for me, I, w- I was really serious as a young player and I, I really wanted to be competitive. And, you know, I didn't, you know, I didn't think at that time that that environment was where I wanted to be. I didn't feel the players around me shared the same passion and focus for the sport. Um, so I had begged my mom, man, to, to kind of let me go in a different direction. And um, so at that time, you know, I was having conversations with Coach Tucker and, you know, he's trying to tell my mom, like, he's okay, you know, just whatever. I was like, tears, like, nah, man, get me out of here. Like, I need to, I need to go do something else. And so I ended up uh, joining um, Brian Robinson's uh, program, Coach Robbie. So he was at Team America at the time. He had come in to D.C. Um, and, you know, I don't know if this was against the rules back then, but he came to the summer camp, pulled up in the BMW, <laughs> and uh, started flashing. My, this, is a, this is a true story. I'm telling you, this is a true story. So, Coach Robbie, don't, don't be upset, you know, after this. But um, pulled up, he's flashing, but the ice cream truck is out, right? Uh, so we, had, we had coins. Robbie pulls up with bills. Okay, he's sitting on the front. I will never forget sitting on the front of the BMW. He's buying ice cream for everybody, and I'm standing off like, "Who is the guy? Right? Who does this? Right?" Um, so I got I got moved to his team. You know, there's a lot of that story in there. Um, and so I like point, how you said you got moved to his I got team. Moved, as well. right? I don't know who signed the paperwork. Who who talked to who? All I know is <laughs> at the end of the summer. I received a bag in the mail, had three kits, two warm-ups, you know what I'm saying, a few other items. And uh, there might have been some cash in the bag. I can't remember at the time, but I got moved to uh, Team America Vasco. Um, and so I had gotten into uh, ODP at that time. So I was doing um, – I'm an 84, but I started with uh, Curtis Landy out at in the Maryland ODP uh, on the 83s. And um, so that was that was uh, that was like kind of what I wanted to do, right? Like I got a taste of that life. We're traveling to, I think our first college day was like Mount St. Mary's. So we drove out, dropped us off at the school, um, and played with some really good players. Like one guy that sticks out for me there, um, Michael Della Russo, ended up playing at Maryland. Um, you know, if he ever comes across this, my guy, you were a baller. You know, much respect. Um, but I saw a different level of the game being around players who were at that time on the state team. Um, so now I'm doing ODP and now I've moved to Robbie's group um, that fall. And then I got a situation happened. I was a DC resident, so I wasn't supposed to be in Maryland anyway. Um, I, it was an administrator in DC who uh, told my mom, if I didn't move to Virginia's ODP team, there were gonna be some conversations had. 
So um, this is the game that adults were playing at that age, right? Yeah. So I got moved over to Virginia and um, played in the 84 group. And uh, at that time, things were just moving in the right direction. Went down and played my first tournament with Robbie's group in Richmond. I think whatever that early Richmond tournament was. Um, and, and loved every minute of it. I mean, it must have been 150 people at that game in our first match. Like, and I loved it. Like, the, just the, the intensity, the, the, the atmosphere was great. Um, and the level was good. So, you know, that, that continued to progress. Ended up traveling overseas with uh, the Virginia State ODP team that first year. They went to uh, Iceland, Norway, and Denmark. And so, you know, again, just the world is opening up, right? Because I'm, I'm in D.C. basically, you know, coming out of a PCP crack epidemic, right, where kids don't even leave D.C. And here I am in a different part of the world playing a sport that we don't play in D.C. Um, so, you know, it was, it was certainly perspective shifting. Um, to say the least, right? But it just kind of continued to fuel my hunger for the game. Um, and, and on that first trip, we were able to play some some pro club, well, you, pro academies, right? So you had the pro to the first team and then the youth teams because we were, I don't know, maybe U13 at the time, right? So Bromby FC and a few others. Um, so that was really nice to kind of see their facilities and what was out there outside of the U.S. Things continued on and um, got into the regional team which was again, another level up, right? So now we're driving to like Penn State for practice. Um, I remember my mom driving me up on Christmas day, nothing was open, you know, but here we are in this college town, she's dropping me off and shout out to her cause she's a single mom. Um, she adopted me and my brother. And so just her whole commitment to me um, and, and that process was something, you know, I could never repay her for. Um, Regional team stuff went well and, you know, again, loving that stuff and ended up getting uh, called up for the national pool stuff. Then had a little injury setback for a little bit. Um, travel continued on, you know, we were, the team was doing well. Uh, continued to do well on ODP, but um, I, I ended up having a knee surgery. Um, I can't remember what year it was, um, torn meniscus. So really, I think for me, it was probably just an overuse injury. We were doing a lot of football, like, um, training during the week, but then the weekends were like region one directs premier league Saturday mornings. We would do futsal in the evening. We had NCSL on Sunday, and then we would play in a men's league when around that schedule. Um, and you know, when I think back on that, like that, that's a lot, you know, I don't think anybody should be playing that many games as a player, especially going through that, that puberty phase. Right. Cause that's when you're a little more susceptible to injuries, um, because of your growth rate. Um, and I'm not, I'm not saying that that was the direct cause, but you know, when your muscles are fatigued, you're obviously, um, in a situation where you're, you're getting into an injury zone because you yeah. can't support the muscles, can't support your ligaments as much. Um, so dealt with that, um, ended up going to Europe with CAB and WISA Academy years later. Um, where we ended up playing some some big sides. We played uh, in England, we played West Ham, Liverpool, and Chelsea's. I think Chelsea's U19s, I think we played Liverpool's U17s. Um, we did beat Chelsea at Chelsea. I wanna make sure that that's on record, right? Um, good side. They actually had their goalkeeper, I think, went on to play uh, U23 national team. <laughs> you, oh, no, no, Jace, Jace, you, you do though, you're talking to uh, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm a Chelsea here as well, but James is next level Chelsea. It's, it's, just, no, just disrespect. No, disrespect. <laughs> it's no disrespect, gentlemen. 
it's really, okay. It's okay. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, you know, you look. This this is a team of of minorities, right? Going on English soil, mm-hmm. right, and, and getting a result at at their facility, right? That was that was a big result because these guys are you know on contract. So like, it's not a situation where you know you're playing the U 11s You know, they, we're grown. You know, and so that was that was big. Um, we ended up playing Ajax and um, another. The Treffers Club was a sort of an amateur club over in uh, in Harlem. So great, great trip. I mean, to see those facilities, see how they do things. I remember standing in the um and coming out of the Ajax training room at their facility and seeing like the little ones lined up to go out for training, and they were all dressed in all the same stuff. And I was like, yo, like, why don't I live here? You know, like this is where I should live. I'm in the wrong country. You know, like everything about that was what I wanted. And I, I can only imagine with my love for the game, being in that type of environment every day, what that, you know, could have meant for me. You, know, you never know, but just saying that, you know, that's that's where I certainly wanted to be, you know, a far cry from D.C. Um, did a, another trip with the regional team over to um, to Spain and France. We played a, a tournament over in France and um, we played Real Sociedad in Spain before we we traveled over to France. Real Social Day was serious. Um, they must have had 99% possession that day. And I think that's at that age, like when you're 16, 17, and you're looking at uh, another group of guys across from you and you're not touching the ball, and this is the best out of 15 states, you start to do some soul searching. Like what, what's happening here? What are they doing differently that, you know, we were chasing? And it was a hot day in Spain. I'll tell you that much. Um, so, you know, good, good trips, though, all good experiences. Um, I almost didn't make that trip because I, again, I was coming off another surgery. Um, and um, so that was, that, was, that was cool. We went out to Chula Vista to the Olympic Training Center to train because um, they were having a national camp out there. Um, so that was, that was a really, really nice experience. I had never been to th- those type of training centers before. And, I mean, the facilities, the food, everything was, like, top level. Um, so, again, just kind of fueling that, that passion. Uh, ended up going to Howard, obviously. Um, Coach Tucker had been my guy, been my mentor, had been my advocate throughout this process. You know, I went through some things as a player in ODP where coaches tr- wanted to play me as a defender, you know, for whatever reason. And, he, you know, had to go out and really have some serious conversations with people about who I am as a player and where I should be, uh, which I thought was above and beyond the call of duty for anybody, but, um, you know, both him and Cab were, were like dads to me growing up. I didn't have a dad in the household. Um, so, you know, I felt at that time it would have been disloyal to go to any other university, to be fair. You know, he had been a part of my process from the beginning. He started me playing and um, obviously I had some friends who were attending as well, um, but I, I couldn't see myself anywhere else other than playing for him. I really wanted to bring a national championship home for him, you know, how I was third. So um, ended up playing in college. Uh, it was cool. I had two surgeries in college, um, my freshman year, then my junior year, all meniscus. So non-contact stuff, but just, you know, didn't, didn't rehab well at school. I wouldn't say that um, at that time, there was a lot of work being done around the rehab component, at least for our group um, at the university. And so you just kind of figure things out, try to get stronger, get back into things. Uh, ended up going to the Info Sport Combine, which I don't know if they have it anymore. It used to happen down in Florida. Mm-hmm. And the coach who was overseeing my cohort was uh, Amit Namazi, 
who I think worked with the uh, U.S. Uh, National Futsal Group for some time. He was coaching or was taking over um, because it was a new franchise in the MISL. So um, they were the New Jersey Ironmen. So he picked me up from that combine to go out there, um, went up to Jersey. It was nice. I was like, oh, this is the life. Like you're getting paid to, you know, do what you love. You know what I'm saying? Ended up getting a back injury. This guy in training, I'm, I'm like stopping to like hit a full volley. Guy runs right into the back of me with his knee. I don't even know how you how you do that, but like I went to the ground. I'm grabbing the turf. I thought I was paralyzed to be honest. Like I, I literally thought like this was it, um, but it was just a really bad like bruise, you know, in the lower back area. Um, didn't didn't have any spine spinal damage, but um, it was significant. It took many months to to heal from that. Um, then I had to make a decision, right? Like I had gone to gotten healthy and worked out at Crystal Palace a little bit, Crystal Palace USA when they were in the USL group and then with the uh, Maryland group here out in Germantown. But I think some of the challenge was, you know, and and this probably goes back to mentality and coming out of a a very working class family, right? So what do you do? Do you continue to pursue sort of the pro game on the U.S. side, right? Because getting to Europe at that time, at that age is – probably not going to happen because one, you got to be playing in a national team for a certain amount of games to even receive a work permit. Right. But then how many of us at that time were even kind of trending that way to be a part of European academies, you could go, you know, non-league and try to work your way up, but this is where it goes back to background, right? Here, if you're playing in, you know, USL, MISL, like, and you don't have a name for yourself, you're probably making very little money. Right. You're probably staying in an apartment with three, four guys. Um, your paychecks are short. And I don't I think I went through a period, especially after college, because we weren't as competitive as I, I wanted us to be for sure, that I lost a little bit of my momentum for the sport. And then obviously, as you get out and now you have like ultimate freedom to kind of do what you want to do. It's like, well, do I want to go play for fifteen hundred dollars a month? You know, you know, your apartment's paid for, but now you're also living with three other people. Mind you, I'm an introvert, right? So I don't really want to be around people anyway, but this is the circumstance, right? This is how you kind of get in. Um, and, and then so your three knee surgeries in, just had a back injury. You know, what are you, what are you doing? You know, what are you doing? So I, I, I came back to school because I had left a year earlier to go pursue this, finish my degree, and um, just decided that it wasn't worth that at the time, you know, I regret it now, right? I wish that I would have pushed through and just um, continued on. But at the time, I think other interests got in the way and, you know, you start making a little money and it's like, yeah, okay, well, I'm, I'm, you know, I got a little apartment and, you know, bought a little car. I won't tell you what it was, it's irrelevant. but that that kind of well, shifted. Hold on, hold on. Did, did you get a, the, the BMW that, that got you on the other team? <laughs> <laughs> I did purchase a BMW. Um, wasn't that BMW. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was a but, very but, unnecessary. But I guarantee you, it made a mark. Now that's probably why. Yeah. So you got to blame, I got to blame Coach Robbie, right? He started <laughs> the nonsense, right? He started the nonsense. Um, and and this, is, this, is, this is typical, right? You're a young guy. You go buy something you shouldn't be buying. Like, I bought a 745, bro. Like, it wasn't wow. – like, this is where I'm saying I needed to I needed to sit down for a minute and just write some stuff out because I wasn't thinking clearly at the time. I'm living in an apartment, 
mind you, all right, it's not like I bought a home first and then when it caught that, I'm living in an apartment because I'm living a good life right now. Um, yeah. And so, you know, life was chill, right? I'm, I started coaching. I started working with Cab, and I, I mean, I'll, I'll halt there because we're going into career side now, but that was part of the, the challenge was in the time I was hurt, I had come home and I was working with Cab, so I'm working like 4.30 or 4 o'clock to 6. I'm making a little money, um, and I've got my own place. So I'm not really working real hours. You know what I'm saying? I'm working a life that allows me ultimate freedom in the day and in the night. It was just a recipe for disaster for where I was mentally at that time. You know, just yeah. it wasn't a, wasn't what I should have been focused on. Yeah. yeah. So that, that's my journey through through football, at least on the player side. Yeah, no, I mean, this is a To be honest, that's one of the best stories. Like, when you <laughs> answer that question, that's one of the best. So, yeah, okay. story. so let's 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 sure. go all the way back. Let's 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 unpack, do a deep dive. Oh boy. A couple of things. One is you you know, you mentioned from that I, I think it was like at five, from yeah. the first time you played and scored, it's just you know, like that thing just hit, right? Was it did you like was it was it an, an internal thing um that you knew that okay. And, and it continued right along the way, like that internal motivation uh, or that whatever that was. Uh, what, was it internal or was, you know, like, was there external motivations like your mom supporting you or your brother, you know, talking to you about, about it or what, 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 what was it? And what's your, um, do you think that's, that's something that's innate or that's something that's, uh, that can be nurtured? Wow, that's, that, Mike, that's a great question, buddy. Um, I would say that it, it certainly was an intrinsic motivation. Um, there was no pressure from my mom at all around football or anything, to be fair. Um, and, you know, I don't, I don't know whether that's a great thing um, or whether that's a bad thing. But, you know, at the time she was, uh, she worked MPD, so her days were packed, right? Like, remember DC was insane. Uh, during these early years, right? So her day-to-day -day was was crazy. Um, so there was no pressure from her. So I would have to say it was definitely um, just something that I always felt, you know, and she'll, she'll tell this story to, to people. When I was eight, we were driving in the car and I told her like, Ma, soccer's my life. Like, this is what I'm telling her, you know, and this, this is not, you know, I didn't, in the neighborhood, there was no other soccer players. Um, you only connected with your teammates when you saw them at practice Tuesday, Thursday, um, or in the summer when we were at camp. But we were all young, so none of us really knew what was ahead of us. Um, so I, I think to the first part of your question, definitely was an internal drive. Um, and I don't know if that moment was the complete catalyst for that continued motivation or if it was the experiences that I had after that. Um, and maybe the success as well that I enjoyed, right? And there was work that came behind those things, right? It wasn't like, oh, I just showed up and then soccer's happening and I'm just naturally a great soccer player. I think there were a combination of things that allowed me to excel early. And one of those things was I just loved being on my ball, right? So from a, I think from a technical standpoint, I was a little further ahead of my peers in, in a lot of spaces because I spent so much time with my ball unstructured, structured, um, but I always wanted to improve 
you know, either my touch or the way I shot, both feet, whatever the case may be. And so I think all of those things coming together um, allowed me to continue to stay motivated for the game. Because if the game's too hard, right, like as you start to progress a little bit, that can be demotivating. You know what I'm saying? I didn't really hit that wall until college when I was kind of battling with some serious injuries. You know, up until that point, I had tons of success, you know, in terms of my position and, and kind of moving up the ladder. Um, and again, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing either, right? Because once you hit some real adversity, you know, you, you get tested. Um, so to the first part of that, I think it's intrinsic. On the nurture piece, that's where things get complicated because um, we, we develop players now, right? And I don't know that there's an exact science for the nurturing because we're all different people and we all have different needs, uh, different wants. And so I think I was lucky enough to have good people around me who cared about me as a person, not what I could do for them. And so um, that's the only experience that I have to kind of um, talk from because I don't know a different side, right? Like I didn't, even, even with Coach Robbie, like that's my guy, you know, he, he's always had me in, in his best interest. You know, obviously our group did a lot for Team America in terms of branding and the, the competitiveness of that group. Um, as it does for clubs, but, you know, just recently, you know, like he was at Jerome's funeral, you know, like that's major to have your coach to come back. And I'm sure he hasn't seen Jerome in probably, I don't even know, 15 years, maybe, you know, and that's those types of communities when you have people who really care about you and you still check in and you still talk um, can only be beneficial. Now, what that means, whether that is, um, something that can be recreated with the same success for every kid. I don't think that that is a proper way to view it. Um, but the environment itself can be beneficial in many different ways because not everybody's going to go on to play at a high level, right? But they can be good people because of a nurturing environment. And I think that's what the, the story is around our group of kids who came out of that same process. Yeah. So you, you mentioned, um, I think, when you started playing with Cad, he's, he would give you tapes of, Owens, et cetera. So prior to that, did you have any football idols? No, because, you know, I think all we had here and then MLS came like in the 90s, right? So I'm, I'm watching like their little championship run, which was a, a highlight tape of their films going through. Um, so, of course, you know, those are the players that you, you look to because that's what's in front of you. Um, but we didn't have like cable and stuff going up. So it wasn't a lot of, unless something came on like world cup that was on a regular, like an ABC, you're not catching football. You know what I'm saying? I don't even know what channel MLS and, and all that came on at those days, but whatever tapes that I was given, um, was kind of what I had access to at that time. And so I didn't have one particular player until a little later in life that I was like, Oh, this is who I would like to model my game after. And that was the Don. You know, everything other than that was kind of like, oh, I, I see how he did that there, right? So, like, if you had a striker who was cutting inside and curling in the corner or someone was using footwork to get out of space, like, those are the things that kind of stuck in my brain. And then Zidane was, like, exponentially better than everything I was saying in the English game, right? So it's like, oh, wow, like, that's, you know, that's it. So he, he eventually is who I landed on as as a as an idol, but a little later on in life. Yeah. Okay, so so since you named uh, Sadan and you know, he he, I want to say he's in the top three of everyone 
we've interviewed here. He's also, I mean, you know, I'll just go ahead. I mean, everyone knows this, you know, but I'll say it anyway. Uh, my two favorite players of all time is him and Ronaldinho. So, oh. you know, everyone knows this and I've, I've explained why. But since you named Sadan, uh, we have this question on here. Uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> and just, just to let you know, there, there are no right answers. No, and, and actually, no matter what you say, people are still going to get at you, right? So it's just, it's just what it is, right? So the, the question is, who are your top 11 players <laughs> of <all> time? <laughs> wow. And, and, and uh, you know, as you're naming them, I'll, I'll like, you know, I'll go ahead. And, and it could be, you know, it could be, uh, you could, some people do like, you know, the full field. So they start with from goalie all the way to striker. Some people do all striker. I mean, you know, like wh whatever it is, just, just, it's, it's your list. That's all it this, is. And this is all time, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your favorites mm -hmm. of all time. Yeah. See, Mike and James, I like what you guys did, right? Because as an educator, when, when the teacher says, um, and there are no wrong answers here, guys, that means that we're setting you up for failure here. <laughs> um, top 11. Hmm. That's tough. Um, I would have to say I'm, I'm partial to the following. Um, in goal, and, and this is not always ability, it's just some, some people just resonate differently with you, right, for different reasons. Um, and I think I went through a phase where, like, I was high on certain players for the moments that I saw them in, not because I necessarily evaluated them versus you know, everybody else in their position, if that makes sense, right? Yeah. Um, so I think from a goalkeeper's perspective, and again, not necessarily saying that this player was world-class, but Tim Howard for me, um, because the resolve to go where you went do what you did as as a black american um for me trumps those who may have been afforded those opportunities um and had a much easier route to that space right i can name a list of goalkeepers who i think may be better than him as a goalkeeper um but i cannot leave out um that his name in that conversation because he achieved something amazing um, and very few of us have been able to do that. Um, so I'll, I'll go with Tim to start. Um, at the back, I would have to say um, Beckenbauer, just because it was one of the first uh, players that I was able to see, right? And I, I want to preface this, uh, going up, I didn't have, I had limited footage, right? limited football watching going on in my life. So, um, but to see Beckenbauer connect out of the back, you know, to see him attack in a way that wasn't normal and still isn't normal for center backs to do, right? Um, I thought it was very intriguing to me. You know, it takes a, it takes, it's a lot of risk, um, but that risk obviously, you know, was with great reward. Um, I may just have to go at three at the back here. I'm not, I'm not a defender, so I'm not getting ready to play the defensive game. Um, I would I would say that um, probably Roberto Carlos um, as an outside back was revolutionary um, and did some things that 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 brought a new moved the game forward in a progressive way uh, for defenders. Um, so I, I gotta shout him out. Um, 
then I probably have to say Cafu. You know what I'm saying? I don't know how you leave that name out of the conversation. So I'm going to just throw him in there. If you don't know who Cafu is, just Google that. Um, <laughs> midfielders, we got to go with Zidane. I already spoke on it. You know, that's my idol. Um, and I think what it is with him is, you know, he's 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 a general. You know, people talk about midfield generals. He's a general. You know, he's a player who dictates play. Um, and it's, it's the way that I would like to coach all of my young players to be where they can dictate the game you know no matter where they are on the field they they have that presence um and, and thought and creativity um so i have to go as a dom um oof gets tough in the midfield here ronaldinho has got to be a part of that list you can't i mean how do you leave him out of that uh, he's he's magic you know what i'm saying like I don't, I, you, you could call him a general too for different reasons, right? But his flair, his creativity, again, progressive. Um, and not that other players don't have that in their, their repertoire, but he just, he took it to another level on every stage. Um, so got to have him in. Um, I may have to come back to wingers because um, I can't, I can't really say that I, I spent a lot of time killing it with the wingers. Um, up top, I have to go. I have to go Henri, I think. Um, I think at the time that I was able to see him, especially at Arsenal and what he was doing there, um, there were aspects of his game that I certainly modeled my game after, like that that coming inside to be able to score a piece um, was big. Um, so I'd have to, have to include him in that. Um, I am also on the forward line here. I think of a nine here that I like. This gets a little tough. <laughs> I see if you throw a name out here that's not quality, somebody's gonna write in the comments. So I, gotta, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I can tell you now, like it doesn't, it really doesn't matter. Like people are still gonna get at you. <laughs> like even your list right now, people are gonna get at you. I can tell you. And that's but, okay. I'm, I'm open. I'm open to dialogue because these are opinions. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Um, hmm. You gotta have Ronaldo in that conversation. Which one? Um, Ronaldo from Brazil. Okay. Yeah, I mean he's. Yeah, he's everything. Um, and then I'm going Messi to round out my three up top. Yeah, two uh, more, two more. <clears throat> two more. They got to play on the wing. They got to be a seven and a half. Anyway. Oh, it doesn't matter. Okay, great. That helps. You got a goalie if you want. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, I'm going to throw Neymar in the conversation just because, again, it's just a player who's influenced the game um, in, in a different way. Um, so I got one more pick. Hey, Marie, you getting close to getting cut off this list, brother. Um, hmm. That's tough. What's the wait time on the last pick? I don't know how many gigabytes you guys got on the, on the recording side. Nah, you good. Um, <laughs> this is what they think. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, I'm trying on. to think of another player who, who heavily influenced me um, and, and watching them play here. Um, hmm.
I, I would think, you know, you, you said Cam gave you a tape with Owen, and you haven't right. mentioned him or anyone from Liverpool. I wouldn't put him at the same level as as the three that I mentioned up top for sure. You know what I'm saying? He just he did what he did at his time, but I wouldn't, you know, those guys are, are, are a bit on a different tier for me. No disrespect to Michael Owen. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this. I can't say that like I'm a I'm a necessarily a, a huge supporter, right? But I think you have to put Cristiano Ronaldo in the conversation, and I'll and I'll, I'll leave it there because he's a winger too. We hadn't addressed the wingers um, like that, but just because of what he's accomplished, um, you know, you you got to respect that that piece of it. I'm, I can't say that like I'm I turn on the TV to watch him play. Um, but he is definitely a baller and definitely does it at a, at a high level. Um, so I, I'll throw him in because I'm my brain's tired. I'll be racking through you know a thousand people trying to figure that out. So we'll go with Stephen Lawrence. Right? <laughs> right now, I mean that's that's a solid list. You know, I mean of course there's a bunch of people you left out. And, Absolutely. You know, I'm not going to name any names, but people are going to get at you. Just FYI. It's it's all listen, guys. I've been at work all day. You know, so it's, you know, I wasn't. I didn't know this question was coming. <laughs> Shout out to these guys for keeping it fresh. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a top list. That's a top yeah, list. no, no, that's yeah. a bunch of ballers. I mean, yeah, it's all, all those are all game changers. Either way you look at it, you know. Um, yeah, I, I have a question, on Jace. So you, going back, um, remember when you said after your injury and you lost a little uh, passion for the game. And then I just want to know after you lost passion and then you decided not to keep playing because the pay was low and stuff like that. What, how did you get passion to coach? Like, how did you get that motivation to coach again? Cause after you lost passion in the game, how can you coach? Yeah. And I, I think, you know, to go back to, to that portion of it is it's, it's a, it's a combination of things. It's, Am I, am I enjoying the process? I know what, what is required to play at that level. I'm, I'm there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm looking at income versus things that, are, that fall in the category of being undisciplined, right? Lifestyle choices, right? So I'm enjoying my freedom more than I'm enjoying the work ahead of me for getting back into the professional game. And so I think that was where the issue was. It wasn't so much that there was a huge drop in passion to where I don't want football in my life. It just was, there were some other things. See, and I think the problem is this, right? My, my soccer life was very intensive growing up, right? You're in football all week long. We play year round. I'm in up until a certain age. I was in camp for eight weeks all summer long. So you go back and you reflect on how much you missed socially, right? All of the parties you didn't go to, right? Because you, you know, you didn't, you had football. Um, I remember distinctively a night that I was getting ready to go to uh, Deerfield Academy where they were having the regional training. And I had to catch a train to Amtrak up there. And my buddies were at a party that night. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if I was like eighth grade, ninth grade or whatever the case may be. And so you, you reflect on all those moments, even in college, right? Like it, you still have a structure, right? Like that, that you have to follow to be successful. And that's a heavy grind, especially at that level. So then when you get a chance to take a break from that, finally, it's like a woo-saw moment 
And now you got some other stuff going on that you always wanted to be involved in. And you hadn't had a chance to. I think that pushed me a little more than the lack of passion for the game. Mm-hmm. And you're not around that level every day, right? Because, see, that still wasn't our culture heavy here, right? It's not American culture to be football heavy all day, all day long. Yeah. Uh, and in that moment, I wasn't around the same people that I was in college every day because I am a little bit of a loner. So when you separate yourself from that environment, you now you don't have the same day-to-day interactions, and it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. It can be. So I think that was a little more of what it was for that the the move away from that, at least temporarily. Mm-hmm. Um, on the coaching front, again, it was it started as a lifestyle thing. Right. Always knew I wanted to coach from even when I was young. So having an opportunity now to work with Cab early on, um, I enjoyed what we were doing. I was observing him. You know, I was more of an apprentice at that point. You know, I was his assistant I'm watching the process. But I've got a ton of free time. So this is a great life. I'm still involved with football. Right. It team is, you know, going through the process I went through early on. And um, I still have the rest of my day to myself, which I thought was brilliant. So. Um, that's what started the coaching piece. And then seeing the impact that he was having on not only the kids, but the community. So, you know, I'm starting to understand it differently now, you know, because it, it made sense. All of my, my gripes about maybe things that weren't in place at the college level for us. Now your, your lens is different because as a player, you're thinking about, just that result on a week, right? Like, you know, obviously you care about the people around you, but as someone who's overseeing programming, especially the programming of young people, now your lens shifts to how, what, what is my day to day and how can I serve others? Right. And that I think lit a a different fire under me because I saw the impact that he was having on young people, the relationships that were being built. And then eventually what those young people became over time and it's like yeah man this is this is like the best job in the world you know what would you say is your most uh memorable moment both as a player and a coach player had to be the euro trip um because not many people get a chance to play against clubs like that. Um, it may be a little more um, of a norm in Europe, but certainly not for inner city Americans, right? To go and play not only big clubs, but at their facilities and kind of see what life is like for those people, um, interacting with them, you know, before and after matches. Um, and especially for someone who aspired to be a professional that trip just kind of hit at the right time for me. Um, so, and I was old enough to appreciate the significance of what we were doing. Um, so if there's any one moment that sticks out, it would certainly be being on tour with people that I grew up with. Um, and without the people who took us their cab and, and coach Tucker would not have probably had the opportunity to even do something like that. Um, so I think that would be, uh, that, that part. Um, in terms of the coaching piece, I would say the first, the first big moment, I'll name two, um, if that's okay. Yeah. The, the first was probably taking my first full group through the travel cycle. 
um, because I think it reaffirmed for me that there's a process that works. We talked about that nurturing piece earlier and not just for top end kids, but for kids who maybe weren't on that first or second team early on, but in the right and nurturing environment, those kids can still have success as long as the work's being done. Uh, we continue to support them. And then after they go through puberty, we see, you know, where, where they're, where they're trending. Um, and with the right supports, you know, many of those players were going or were able to go on and uh, play at, you know, a decent level. Um, they're still in college now. So uh, we'll see, you know, if any of them have the opportunity to go pro beyond that. Um, but I would say that was probably one of the most significant moments on the coaching side. But, you know, forget the wins, forget the, you know, tournaments, all that stuff. But just to see their growth and development and, again, the community that was built from that, right, um, and I mean, I can tell you a million stories about now how those same guys and we had two young ladies who were part of that group have built a family and that community is still together. Those players are still involved with me in various levels. Some of them have coached with me. Right. So now we um, recycling this process um, and there is now a, a mentorship and relationship that will exist forever uh, as a result of that process that started. Um, many years ago. And then the second, I would say just getting into the college game, like, you know, look, for our people, it is hard, man. Unless you you played at a school um, where somebody could sort you out, um, it is very difficult to get into the college arena. And I was fortunate enough um, to, again, bring up CAD, man, looking out for others, serving others. Uh, who made a phone call when someone was hiring and um, interviewed for the job and was able to get in. This is, you know, almost 11 years into coaching. You know, I'm not saying that two years into your coaching journey, you should be coaching in college, right? But this, some, most people, some people start that way, right? They ain't had no coaching experience and they're an assistant coach at a D1 school. How does that happen, right? And here people kind of gone through, and I was a believer that, if you go through the process the right way, you do, you know, you, you coach youth, you coach grassroots. Um, I coached high school, you know, I've been a coach and educator, you know, all of these things that now the next step in this progression is that, and these doors should be, a, should be at least an option for you to interview. Right. But the reality was those doors were, were shut with a steel trap on the back, you know, and it, 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 what, it, what, it, what I started to understand is that it's really a networking issue. You know, either yeah. you're in a network or you're not in a network. And That's what it is. Um, I would say that it's not so much your your acumen more than it is just kind of who you know who can put you in a position to to, to go in that door. Um, true. It doesn't mean that if you start, you know, without a lot of coaching experience that you can't be successful. A lot of people learn on the job and kudos to those coaches. But I think for us, again, as black Americans, um, it, it's a it's a different race to the top. You know, definitely is. So those those are the things I would share uh, to your question, Mike. So uh, to, to go back to the like the college, uh, you got the coaching college, right? So was there a different qualification to coach college for someone as wanted to coach college and someone I wanted to is coaching club? Do you do you need different qualification to coach either college or club? I thought so. Right. The notion that I always understood was that you needed a master's degree to even get your foot in the door. Uh, that doesn't seem to be the case. Yeah. Um, and again, this is not this is not a, a judgment against 
coaches who don't have a master's degree. Um, my understanding of it as I was younger was that um, because you're working in a higher education as an institution, that these were things that colleges wanted to see on your resume because you are dealing with student athletes. It is, you know, it's not just an athletic portion, not an academy or coaching a pro club where the focus is just football. It is you have to take care of your students as well. Um, and so though, that was something that I, I thought um, was a part of the process, um, which I ended up, I have it anyway. I did my master's at American um, some years ago. Um, but when you start to now look around, you notice that not everybody has that on their resume, right? If you were maybe a pro player, you came back and you started coaching, school is probably not going to ask you for that. You know, it just depends on what they feel your brand is and, and the value that they feel that you bring. Um, I would say one of the other notable pieces is that um, you will find that uh, licensure in terms of like USSF or the diplomas from United Soccer Coaches, UEFA, whatever it is, um, don't play a significant role in your ability to get a job either, right? So if I've demonstrated competency at a school, I'm coming from a school with a decent brand, somebody's not going to not hire me because I don't have a B license. Like that serves no relevancy, I think, in the college game for administrators because most ADs, I would assume, really don't have context for what that is anyway at, at that level. It's can you do the work? You know, can you keep a program that's compliant? Can you keep a program that's competitive um, and, and make sure that the welfare of your student athletes um, is, is, is taken care of? Um, so I would say all of the qualifications that we look at on the youth side, it's not as relevant on the college side, especially if you, you know, you had the right network. Okay. No shade, no shade to anybody. There's some terrific coaches who, you know, have various qualifications. So I'm not knocking anybody. I mean, I'm sure you already know how I feel about, you know, that whole scheme anyway. So, um, <laughs> but we'll, we'll leave that for another day. Okay. Um, the question, you know, now you're, you know, you transition from being a player to now you're a coach. What, what do you find to be the most challenging thing currently in your, you know, in this phase of your career? educating parents um the initially you know you're trying to figure out how do you take what you know about the game and give that to your players right and and that that process i was fortunate enough to have a mentor and i was fortunate enough to be in an environment where i saw that work every day and being the young coach i'm looking at things saying well why don't we say this why don't we do this why the halftime speech is so short, you know, et cetera, et cetera, long list of things. And then you got the guru sitting in front of you feeding you little gems every day, right? And at this time, like, even though I had a car, a cab would even come pick me up. So we might be traveling to a tournament, it might be three, four hour drive, and we're just talking about all of these little things. And um, so I was fortunate enough to observe and learn before I had to take on the full responsibility of that work. Um, so that part of it, had I not had that situation, my trajectory as a coach probably would be a little different because um, I could imagine myself being intense, um, trying to give a player at U9 every tactical situation that I know in my brain, you know, all of these things. 
But, you know, I was fortunate enough to be in a long-term player development program that was also player-centric. Um, and so my my scope was different once I, I got into the actual work of it. What I also had a chance to observe was the managing of people. And that work is still very daunting. I think getting a player from point A to point B, for me, is not the difficult part. We can develop a player. But the way that youth soccer has evolved in this country and the, and the for-profit nature of it um, has made it very difficult to, um, to have conversations with parents who see things without context. Um, and then the structure that's around youth soccer has changed so much that it's difficult for them to really understand which is the best pathway, right? And when you're developing players uh, and you are not focused on cutting the, that player who, you know, may not have given you the best results this season, right? Maybe they're, they're your bottom player on your team. Um, you know, keeping that player, playing that player equally in minutes is going to have an effect on team results. Team results are going to have an effect on uh, on the parent lens. And so I think what you have to, to do and what I've learned is that you just got to stand firm on your principles um, because no matter what you do, if people support the work, they're going to support the work. And you can't pander to parents who, one, never done the work, and then number two, are learning about this as they go along. Um, if those who want to chase, you got to let them go, you know, um, because your program is better for it with the players and families who share the same love for the development side of things over a team-centric focus um, in the long run. So I think that would probably be the toughest thing right now is, is just continue to try to get parents to understand and see through the fog of youth soccer that, you know, in this country. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So, um, you know, this is, I mean, the, the question I really have is um, what we're getting at is parent development, right? So, you know, a lot of times we talk about, um, you know, I, I think there's been a huge shift to focus on more youth development. You know, there, there are more coaches, um, but there's still, you know, I think what you bring it up is there's still this gap in parent development here, right? Um, which is not something you would have to deal with, you know, like back home or if, you know, if you're in Europe or Brazil or, you know, Jamaica, whatever it is, you know, the parents, like everyone knows the game, like and the parents' involvement in the game is completely different than what it is here. Right. Um, so, you know, from you, what, what do you, like, what, do you, what is your approach um, as it pertains to parent development? Well, I would say it starts with the first meeting. Because you in our program, you have to outline what it is that we're really about, to be clear, because of the way that we start most of our, our, our kids, right? Um, so that first parent meeting is, is probably <laughs> the one that goes over a lot of parents' heads, right? But once you go through this process a few times, you know that that's what's happening. So the next step is to as you're educating your players and developing your players, there has to be a process 
for your parents as well. Like that, as you kind of noted, like that process is just as important as the work that you're doing with the younger person. So they go through their own sort of curriculum and making sure that they understand, as an example, what the learning objectives are for our kids, right? So um, we may spend a year working on um, specific, uh, like a specific technical focus. They should understand what that is and why we're doing it. And then as we grow, how it connects to the next piece of what it is that we're going to be teaching. Um, I think for parents to be able to see a roadmap of where kids are, where they're going, is important for them to understand what they're seeing in training and also in the games. But that should also be reflected in what's actually happening in your training in your games. You can't say that we are X and then on Sunday you're Y because then you have mixed messaging, right? And that becomes just as confusing as whatever else is being sent their way. So I think because the process for players is clearly articulated and then we know how to move that from foundation phase to whatever comes next in the, in the process for them, and we can do the same at least in the conversation. The conversation for you nine is going to be a little different than the players who are in middle school. And then as we round them out in high school, they're having different conversations, but they're along the same continuum, right? So um, I think that's the, that's the key piece. What do players from U9 and families from U9 and U12 need to know about what's going to happen with their development? What should they be looking for, right? Their look for us. What are some things that are going to be happening that we can, we can, we know from experience are going to take place during this time period. And I think the more that they can draw a parallel between what it is that you're saying in your meetings, whatever uh, educational materials that you're handing out, and then what it is that they're seeing from their kids, it just further affirms the message that you've been trying to get across to them from the first day um, that you guys came together. So, you know, we have a, a player progression. We also have a parent progression. Um, and those things are, I would say, very clearly defined on, you know, where we, where we go. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it is a work in progress, as, um, <laughs> as you know. Um, what would you say is your worst mistake as a coach? Hmm. First mistake as a coach. Man, it's many, I got many, brother. I don't know. <laughs> you pinpoint the one. Um, you know, you 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 certainly make mistakes all the time. Um, biggest, you know, I, I'll, I'll pinpoint a moment early early on, right? Um, with the the group I was speaking about previously. So here you are, your head coach. Uh, you got a group, and. I, on the day, I, I didn't feel that one of my players was giving their best effort. And my tone with that player on that day was unacceptable. It wasn't that I was using profanity or you know, anything like that. But what, what I failed to do in that moment was really understand who that, that player was as a person, right, as a person. And because of that, I let my adult uh, expectations for a youth soccer match um, interfere with my communication with that player, right? And 
you have to, you, you know, you have to go back and reflect on those moments to grow. And I wish that I handled that situation differently. It wasn't something that turned into, you know, a blow up, right. Or something that we had to discuss with the family. It was something that I knew that took place um, during our halftime talk where I'm having a conversation that didn't need to be had with him. You know, just my tone. I was just, you know, your voice is loud. You're talking to a player who's, you know, you, I don't know, the U13, U14, whatever the case may have been at that time. And what killed me, and this is what, this is what triggered it for me when I realized I'm out, of, I'm out of place. His defense mechanism for me trying to get him to be a bit more intense, you know, or work a little harder in a match was he smiled. Right. He wasn't smiling because he thought what I was saying was funny. That was his way of coping in that moment. All right. But it wasn't until I sat after the game and I was thinking about like what I what I was saying to him and more so how I said it, it wasn't the, the direction. It was just, you know, your voice is raised and he's a, he's a child. Right. Um, and then to remember back why he was smiling. And it just it just said to me, like you you in those moments cannot let your emotions, and especially at this level, get the best of you. Really at any level you shouldn't, right? Because we're, we're talking about human beings. Um, but more specifically at the youth level, um, that's not appropriate. Um, he, he didn't warrant that. And there was a much better way to handle that situation. So that was a real growth moment for me, um, having gone through that with him. And relationship, I think, was much better after that because I realized that that doesn't motivate him. You know, and for some kids, it might, you know, what I'm saying that doesn't mean to make it right. Right? But I'm just saying that that wasn't the way to motivate him. And we found a much better way to to get more out of him because of that mistake that I made. Yeah. And I, with the piggyback on that, right, Jay. So as a coach, well, I was your coaching uh, philosophy. I mean, I know you're a striker. Are you more offensive or what's, what's your attack? Oh, I'm going to attack all day. Um, but I think as much as I like to attack. I, I wouldn't say I was uh, um, like I didn't enjoy the defending side of it because you got to do both, right? Like in order for us to attack, we got to get possession. Mm-hmm. So you know, I, I I think what what I enjoy, and I think I hit this at the beginning, was I want players to be savvy enough to know what's needed in the moment, right? And that that's a I know that's a very vague statement, but and it's a very complex thing, but understanding how to dictate a game, whether you are in possession, out of possession, or in transition, right? Like, though, though that's where I kind of want players to, to have a, a level of savvy um, where they as an individual can impact a match in all four phases. And if you can get a player or 11 of your players to have that type of individual impact, now your team is amazing because everybody's contributing something significant, you know? Um, so as a philosophy, it's not necessarily a certain style of ball per se. It is what's required here. Um, can we assess what's needed? And then do we have the ability to be dynamic enough to solve the problem? Um, and because that's such a, like a a vast, um, a vast thing to, to, to sort through, um, it doesn't pinpoint one thing. Like we're not a, I'm not a like, Oh, we got to be a direct team or we got to be a low block team. Right. I just want players to be able to think and then be able to execute and solve a problem. 
I'm saying? So that encompasses a lot. So I would, I don't want to narrow it down to a style of play, right? It's, you just got to be able to be dynamic in solving problems. Well said. With, with that said, who are your top five coaches? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. <laughs> back to the list. <laughs> um, back to the list. I think you guys are doing this for, 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 for attack on your, on your podcast members here. Um, top five managers. Um, I would say I would have to start with um, with Guardiola for me um, because I appreciate his progression in football. It's not it's not because of you know his group at Barcelona. It's wherever he goes, he has a he has a fantastic way of implementing his idea into the teams that he coaches. Um, and he can get a group of players to be flexible within systems. And, you know, they can, and it can appear very rigid at times. I can't say I'm always a fan of the football, but I'm a fan of his ability to stand on the type of football that he wants to play and be able to implement his ideas and give his players a clear picture of what it is that he wants them to do. Um, and then sometimes that football is very attractive, you know, but as we know, you got to have the players to play the type of football that you want to play. Um, and so sometimes those can be limiting factors for any coach. Um, but I can appreciate him for, for those reasons. Um, I will say not, not so much for, from a football perspective, but I appreciate Mourinho in the same way. If you if you sit down and really listen to Mourinho speak in his interviews and his breadth of knowledge is deep. Right? I can't speak to his man management. Can't speak to you know the nature of, of the football that they play. Um, he'll he'll explain that much better than me. But you you have to respect a coach who is very clear about their work. You know and. Mourinho is certainly that. He's very well spoken on football, very knowledgeable about what he does. Um, and I think he he understands what that work is, um, regardless of how we feel about the way his football may look from time to time. Um, so Mourinho is definitely in that top five. Um, I'm not going to pretend to go back into the 60s and 70s. I wasn't watching football back then, so I have no idea who those guys are. Um, and you can eat that up in the comments all you want. Uh, you know, whatever. Um, I will say I'm going to stick with some very modern, modern managers. Um, I think for me, I like um, I like Basia uh, mm-hmm. for for the same reasons that I like Guardiola. Like um, what he does to to bring the the most out of his his players, right? Because you look at Leeds and prior to him coming in, how many Leeds players could you really name unless you really watch football like that? And even if you do, you're probably not watching Leeds often enough to really name name an 11. I challenge anybody to tell me their 11 from last year. Name one match. You don't know. You don't know. So for him to come in and have them playing the way they play, I love it. You know what I'm saying? And he takes a lot of shit, right? Because it's sometimes you take L's when you take risks. You know what I'm saying? But he's committed to his process and you got to respect that. You know, he's not at a side where they're going to spend a billion on players. 
So he's got to make it work for what he what he has, and and um, I I respect that. Um, Full had to be Nagelsmann, right? Like what he's done, Red Bull. Like, come on, man. You know, this is another example of somebody who is extremely progressive in his thinking, but has done it with under the radar players. So you have to take into account the players that he's had to groom and and what he's built there. So you know, for me, top manager always. Um, for his ability to do what he's done. Um, and five, I may go back a little bit here. Um, I think I'll go not, not because I necessarily care about this manager um, per se, but I, I have to go with, with Fergie um, because I think his overall impact in the game has been super significant. Um, and what he did with Manchester United at, during his, his tenure. Um, so I, I have to add him to that list. I can't say that I'm, you know, hardcore Alex Ferguson fan, but I do remember watching his teams playing a very uh, progressive attacking style at a time where English football was very, very direct um, for most teams. Um, his ability to also know how to put those puzzle pieces together and then motivate his players in a way that a lot of coaches um, – cannot um and you know everybody will have their issues with with him as well but you know i would say those are probably my five so all right that's that's a that's a dumb list but based on that list and what you you know what you said why you picked some of those guys i'm surprised that you had two other guys on there one i mean just with what you said about uh, ferguson you didn't have arson uh right. on there, right, right? I, I would think that's like you know um, based on what you said. And then the guy that I could have sworn you were going to say, you, you know who it is, right? You're going to say Zidane. Zidane. Yeah. So here's my issue with Zidane, right? Here's my issue with Zidane. And, and so, yeah, Austin, Austin's up there, right? But you say you gave me five slots. I could put Fergie and Austin in the same five. They could tie for five, right? So I, I'm with you on that, right? Um, I think my issue with Zidane is like, hey, bro, you started at the top. You know what I'm saying? Not that, not that Guardiola didn't, right? Not that he didn't. But you started at the top. You cannot not win with Real Madrid. And you had Ronaldo. So you yeah. cannot not win. Anybody who's had him wins. That's just the nature of the beast, right? <laughs> like you had Messi. You, you're going to get results with a Messi. How many times did you save Coleman this year, right? Yeah. So I love Zidane. I don't think he's a bad manager. I think he's, he's good at what he does. But I can't – I need to see his tenure before I give him the status of the others because those, those coaches have had storied careers. Now, not saying Zidane's got to go coach a championship side and bring him up, you know, through, through those ranks. But when you start with such a big squad, with such a big budget, you know, tactics, players win games, man. You know what I'm saying? Right. But, okay, here's, I, I hear you. I hear you. Here's my, the, my rebuttal to that is that don't you think the, um, you know, there's, like you said, players win games, but based on Madrid, for instance, right, the, the type of personalities that you have on that team, you have Ronaldo. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, like, the management of just that, right. being able to, you know, manage those and get those in check and, and, and get – 
like you know, a lot of times when you look at the Madrid bench, everybody on there is an all star, yeah. <laughs> like on the bench, yeah. Yeah. right? Yeah. Everybody on the bench is an all star. So like getting those guys comfortable enough to say, yeah, yeah, you know, I don't mind coming in and play twenty minutes or whatever it is. You know what uh, I mean? Yeah. So with with that, um, which is something Pep Pep also has, you know, a great ability to do that as well. So you know, I, I understand exactly what you're saying, but I think that is a, um, you know, is a, is a special touch. Do you know what I mean? Like where you can, you can get the, you know, like an all-star team and have all-stars waiting on the bench. And you also bring it in, you know, cause you know, what uh, Sadan has done is like, he, sometimes he brings in, you know, like you got all these, some younger guys in and kind of feeling the way where there's some superstars still on the bench, you know? Like, so that's where I give him, um, you know, a lot of credit because I, I think that's that's not an easy thing to do when you're dealing with top of the line. You know, I mean, all these all of them are superstars. Like, they can go anyway. Um, but yeah, it's some of the hardest work, Mike. I agree a hundred percent. I agree a hundred percent. I think he hasn't coached long enough for me. And being only my, my only real evaluation of him is at at the biggest is one of the biggest clubs in the world. So I would want to see him somewhere else in a different environment. Um, doing, I mean, he's going to be well respected. That's his home, right? He did numbers at, at Real. So, you know, you, you come in with a different level of respect anyway, yeah. right? Just because you're a legend. So he gets a little more of a pass probably than most would anyway, because I think he's probably relatable and there's a, there's an admiration for him beyond just that, right? The other coaches who maybe didn't do what he does would get. So yeah. I'll give him some time. I'm not saying he's not a good manager, but we'll see how his career goes. You, you know, this, I, this is what I've said. I've said um, all he needs to do now, there's two things he needs to do. One is he needs to uh, coach the French team that wins the mm. World Cup. Mm. It, that, that would literally, I think that would solidify him as no. the number one football, just anything. You know what I mean? Because like, at that point, he's done anything possible, imaginable. And then, you know, like he can, after he's done that, then he can decide to retire and just be FIFA's president and just, you know, push the game, you know, like in a, in a whole nother light. Yeah. Um, and then he becomes, he, he's the one, you know? Like, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. 100%, buddy. I'm, I'm with you on that. Yeah. All right. Um, all right. Here's a question. Is there something that you do differently than you know, other coaches and yeah, something you do differently than other, other coaches. Uh, yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of things. Um, I would say probably one of the more unique aspects of our program is that when we get young players, um, and, and regardless of, well, I wouldn't say regardless of when they start, but I would say before they go into nine B nine, um, if they enter in our program and they are not, uh, players who have one v one ability, then you know we spend we spend a significant time a part of a time in our program um, doing dribble only in training and in matches, right? So meaning when we show up to game day seven v seven, when you pick up the ball, you don't have an option to pass. Got to be everybody else. See if you can finish, and that's for every player on the team. Um, that's unique. It's not something that I came up with. Again, this was something that I watched my mentor implement. Um, 
And I saw the benefits of it for especially players who aren't your top end, who have to be able to solve 1v1 because they don't have the physical ability to solve 1v1. Um, and um, it's something that I found to be extremely beneficial in the development of players. It brings out the personality. It reduces the fear factor. And beyond uh, improving the creativity and giving them a license to, to, to play the game as they see fit, um, the, the next step in that process is really just to get them to be able to relax under pressure so that we can play the team game. You know, if you have a player receiving and they're, they're so concerned with the first defender that they can't pick their head up, right, or they can't solve that problem when they're isolated, then it breaks down the play. Um, so we found that by starting kids in a situation where they have to, they're forced to take on a defender or two defenders or three defenders, um, that that repetition of try and fail, try and fail, and then sometimes success. We've had goalkeepers take the ball and dribble the entire field and score goals, right? It's not the, the end goal of 11 v 11 football, but what it does over time is now those players have no fear and they've spent a significant amount of time solving problems with the ball at their feet by using whatever footwork that they see fit for those situations. It goes back to what we were talking about when we said we want players to be able to solve problems. Well, that, that's a hell of a solution um, in, in the first part of their development. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. So, so Jason, question. So if you're not coaching or anything soccer-wise, what are you doing uh, to keep you busy? What, else, what habit do you have? When I'm done with my day, I want to grab some jerk chicken and oxtail. I want to come home, um, either watch like a good documentary, um, a good movie, um, obviously spend some time with my family currently, um, and just kind of take some time to catch my breath, man. Like, you know, I think somebody, I was watching a, um, it wasn't a podcast, but it was someone who was uh, giving a speech and he was talking about introverts and the nature of like this token system. So like every day, um, any social interaction, I go to work, I'm seeing somebody, every social interaction, I'm giving away a token. By the time you get home, you have no tokens left. And the only way to recharge is to kind of be alone to get yourself ready for the next day. So I'm very happy um, just being in my home, away from the day to day and just having a good plate of food and watching football, whatever it is, but just, ISO, you know, and I'm and I'm good to go. Yeah, I'm I'm simple, man. I have no, I'm not like a club guy. Um, you know, no, I get trash from that from my friends all the time. But I'm 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 really humble and to the home. And I have one more question. So, as a coach and as a player, have you played? So, if a young kid right now is trying to uh, uh, pursue this uh, soccer career, do what whatever advice do you have for that young person? Any advice? Wow, you mean in in America? Yeah, yeah. football. Yeah, they're, they're trying to pursue this football uh, career, trying to play on a higher level. Yeah, I mean that's that's complicated, James, um, because it's the the avenue to being a professional footballer can just take so many different paths. Um, and you know, I was just having this conversation with a group of parents tonight about. Um, the, the amount of factors that need to line up for you to even be in that conversation. Um, 
And I don't know that all players get there the same way, right? Like if there was a blueprint for it, somebody would have solved it by now, you know, to say any player, if you just follow this path, um, this is how you you go from point A to point B. Um, I think it's important for players to certainly be in a good environment, but that's not up to them, right? Because how would they know what that is? So um, I think that's the first first barrier to entry is that they've got to, you know, parents have to do their homework um, before they start putting kids in the programs and, and kind of see and ask tough questions, right? Ask questions about what, what kids are learning, um, what maybe has come before. Not all programs have had kids that have gone through that full, that full process, but um, it doesn't mean that those coaches aren't capable of moving them in that direction or putting them into, you know, higher levels of play. But those questions should be asked um, along the way um, because that's the parent support component. I think kids certainly need to spend a significant amount of time with their ball, but soccer probably shouldn't be their only sport. Um, I know I played multiple sports growing up. Even in high school, I played basketball and baseball, um, and it didn't, you know, affect my, my ability to play soccer. Um, so I would say specializing early doesn't necessarily guarantee you, you know, a professional contract. Um, but there are some foundational years and some foundational things that need to be in place. So you have to spend some significant investment in your game. Um, and I think that they also need to kind of build out a roadmap for what they want to accomplish and where they want to accomplish those things. See, when, when we were coming up, didn't really have the internet, right? So. So our, our knowledge was limited to those around us that could provide us with that information. With the amount of resources available now, you can kind of chart a course. You can go take a trip if you have the financial resources and maybe go to uh, an environment that's outside the U.S. and see where you fit into those things to get identified. Or now everybody has film. Everybody's kid is going viral on IG, right? So. I hate to say it this way, but you, at some point, you got to market yourself because uh, you're waiting for somebody else to do something for you. It's probably not going to happen. Um, so, again, this is where, you know, both the player and the, and the parent and support system have to be savvy if that kid has something a little different. Um, and then I would say, finally, just, you know, st- st- stick to what it is that you are passionate about because um, there are a lot of ups and downs in the game. And, you know, not every day is going to be easy. Not every day is going to be a success. And so if this is something that you want, um, you got to you got to be willing to make some sacrifices and you got to see it through. Um, it's you know, it's not it's, it's not a, a game for the quitters. Um, so, I, you know, I, because everybody comes from different situations, I would be remiss to try to plan something for the kid that's coming out of a small town in Africa versus one that's in the backyard of, you know, Chelsea. Right. They don't even those two situations are completely different. So those are just some general things that I think uh, can help a player get at least to the door step. Well said, well said. Well, Jason, it's been a pleasure. Um, How can folks get in touch with you? Any social media handles? Uh, Yeah, I'm on, I'm on Twitter. Um, So you can follow me at, um, at ACG Academy on Twitter. And um, I am, uh, you can catch me via email at, at the college address. So gross ja at trinitydc.edu. Um, so I'm at Trinity Washington University on the women's side. So 
if anybody wants to talk, you know, college soccer or um, how to get involved in college soccer, right? I'm big on, you know, those who also would like to make a move into that space. Like, let's dialogue because I know what it's like to reach out to coaches and never get a response via email or phone. Um, so my door is open for anybody who uh, wants to to dialogue about that type of stuff. Or if you have players who are looking to uh, move into the college space and you you know you want to get them in touch with a coach, um, even if it doesn't involve Trinity, I'm happy to help those kids get where they need to go. Um, so those are probably the two places you can find me. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, yes. And if uh, you know if you're listening, if for whatever reason you miss what Jason said, you can reach out to us and we will get you in touch with Jason as well. Yeah, yeah absolutely. James, Mike, man, thank you so much. This was more than I expected in terms of the conversation, man. There's some excellent questions tonight. Um, I need one of those shirts. So <laughs> please shoot me a text. Those are, those are very tough. Very tough. Thanks, thanks, thanks. We're working on some things, Jason. Yeah. I mean, this, this is just the early stages. You 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 see what's coming. It's yeah. working, working. I like it. Let's keep the convo going, man. I appreciate you guys. This was fun. Thank you. Thanks appreciate it. Thanks for coming on.